Support for Great Minds is provided by The Wine Store, located at 1200 Central Avenue in Naples. The Wine Store offers a unique selection of wines from small production, artisan, and family-owned wineries. Their in-store wine education center hosts classes for the novice and connoisseur alike. Details are at thewinestorenaples.com. Hi, and welcome to Great Minds, a wine-centric podcast where two wine-loving friends take a look beyond what's in the glass. We dig a little deeper into the place, the stories, the culture, and the history behind the wine. I'm Gina Birch. And I'm Julie Glenn. We've taken a little time off this summer, done some traveling, done some medical stuff. Gina did the most traveling and, of course, ended up in wine country, Mm -hmm. but maybe not the wine country that you're thinking about, Portugal. Oh, yeah, Portugal. You know, before my trip, I was... I was kind of familiar, a little bit familiar with Portuguese grapes. I knew Alvarinho, Malvasia Fina, the Torriga Nacional, of course, Alicante Boucher. I knew a little bit about the so-called green wines, Vino Verde, and a port, of course. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the birthplace of it. So I'm thinking, I'm going to conquer this wine country, baby. Mm-hmm. You had your sword out. You were I ready did. to go. I was ready. So Bring what ha- it. What happened when you got that? I got my ass kicked. <laughs> Handed to you. In a on chalice. a platter. Yeah. <laughs> so what I didn't realize, and and maybe I did realize this, but I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, really get it until I was there. There are around 250 different kinds of grapes, mm-hmm. and every region has Torriga Nacional, and it is known by almost two dozen different names. That's that's convenient. Oh yes, it's very very easy to to get around too. And then there's a Torriga Franca, and and there's a the Spanish grape Tempranillo has another name in Portugal. And I really, really tried to taste and drink as much as I could. I, I really believe that. <laughs> yes. I believe that you did the old college try, if you will, master's degree, PhD yeah, yeah. level try. And I came back none the wiser for the wear. <laughs> you know, some of these the, Portuguese wines are big on blends. So I was really trying to figure out what each grape brought to the table. Uh, but it was hard because a lot of the labels did not have the grapes and the percentages. So my efforts at really, I really did want to study and learn. And then I'd ask some of the the people at the restaurants and they had no idea. They just knew the region. Like just, you know, it's local, drink it, enjoy it. Like it's from this village. Yeah. So it will likely taste like this. Yes. I got you. That's it's tr- eight euros. Shut up and drink. Yeah, well, there's that too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, tourist person. I yeah. am not your encyclopedia. I know. Well, I started out in Oporto. Uh-huh. Um most people call it Porto. It's the second largest city in Portugal. It's really far north, and it is the birthplace of port. It's not the Irish port? No. <laughs> a Porto? <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> Uh, and there are all kinds of port caves. It goes along the Douro River, and Gaia's on one side, and Oporto's on the other side. And it's just really fascinating because you can just walk along there and pop into any kind of uh, tasting. A lot, of course, the best ones you set up tours, and I set up a tour with Delaforce, which was a little off the beaten track. They also have an Enoteca down there, um, 1756. That was probably one of the best meals. I'd had. Um, so Del- there's Delaforce? Delaforce. That sounds like an 80s band. Yeah, it kind of does. El de Barge, Delaforce. Uh-huh. I can see that. Okay, so sorry. <laughs> they also make still wines. Oh, okay. So, which we did try some of that as well. Cool. But they make a red, a white, and a rose port. I'm not just Delaforce, but I never knew there was a rose port. This is something new that I learned when I was yeah, over there. Yeah, I never had that either. I've had white port. Uh, there was a white port out of California. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't port really, but it was. I guess, I don't know. I don't know what the legalities are on that. Well, it's like champagne. You know, you really aren't supposed to call it port unless it comes from Oporto and Portugal. 
but everybody, a lot of people do it. A lot of places do it. This was a Napa producer, and they made a Chardonnay mm-hmm. uh, white port, and it tasted like hazelnuts. It was awesome. Ooh, yeah. I mean, some of these are really good. It's like anything. You have some that are sickening sweet and, and yeah. not that great. How was the rosé one? The rosé one was really fascinating to me, and I think it's just because I was fascinated to begin to learn that yeah. there even was one. Uh, and it was the one that I tried was mildly sweet. It wasn't over the top. Um, and I could taste... Uh, it it tasted different, but for me to really sit here and and expand upon the flavor profile is a little difficult when, in comparison. It wasn't as nutty um, mm-hmm. as say uh, the white, and it wasn't as it wasn't as nutty or as floral as either one. It was kind of somewhere in the middle, which makes sense because it was a rosé, yeah. um, and it was vinified differently. But at Delaforce, we went into their caves, and there were bottles there from the 1700s Man. that the winemakers are still supposedly going to uncork and use and pour into different vintages uh, eventually. Like the Solera kind of style yeah, of aging? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, did a river cruise, went through the Douro Valley, uh, it, it's one of the most beautiful wine countries I've seen. It has these really high terraced hills. It almost looked like you were the river was going through an amphitheater. I mean, they were so oh, yeah. stacked. The hills were, and it went down to the river. Um, there are about eleven. There are eleven wine regions in Portugal. So the wines of Douro, uh, they they grow obviously. It's it's kind of like the U.S. They're going to grow different grapes in each region because of the uh, the climate. Some of them will are grown all over the place. Uh, then you go inland to the Alentejo, which is, I always thought more of Douro when I thought of, maybe it was because of the port, but Alentejo is the biggest wine region. It's about the size of Massachusetts hmm. and it's arid, it's dry, it's a little desert-like um, and it's where the cork forests are. It sounds like that would be like Central Coast versus uh, Douro being like Napa, almost. Not, uh, yeah. not weather-wise, but as far as like renowned like people knowing of it yeah i think so and also maybe maybe some of the um the landscape as well with that you mentioned it because yeah. Douro has a little more elevation than alentejo um and it's about 90 minutes from lisbon um they still make a lot of wines in the amphora the mm-hmm. clay pots they still do that a lot over there did you try many of them i did and and they were they were good you know it it uh it, it brings a different quality you don't obviously have that oak and that um uh, that the, the the things that oak brings to the table, like the vanilla and the caramel and, and the tannins, it's they're a little softer and they were really good. Um, there a third of the cork in the world is grown in the cork trees in Alentejo, hmm. which I found really fascinating. I, I corked I'm like a cork dork now, you know, for real because I just loved these trees. They were beautiful. Um, Evora is kind of the capital, the main area of Alentejo, Mm -hmm. and it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And while I was in in the Evora, I visited a couple of different wineries. Esperal was one of them, and there's a lot of Esperal in the U.S. market. Is that where Esperanto originated? I don't know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) The Esperanto language that kind of did not really survive. But it's E-S-P-O-R-A-O. They okay. have an olive press in there. They've got uh, all these outdoor adventure kind of. They're really into the wine tourism. Okay. Got a restaurant and um, some historic sites. They're certified organic. I think they were one of the first ones in the country mm-hmm. uh, to be certified organic. So they actually got to have uh, quite a history there. That's cool. The other one was Cartusia. And it's, again, in the uh, historical town of Evora. They're biodynamic, and they're working on wine tourism as well. And they, again, have another beautiful Enoteca, a great restaurant in Evora that was delicious. They're doing a sparkling wine. 
which has a... And why would one not? Uh, well, exactly. And they have a really great story. And I actually talked to Gabriella Firdu. Firdu? I cannot pronounce. She's going to kill me when she listens to this. Uh, the Portuguese language and the pronunciations are, are really different. Her last name is F-I-A-L-H-O. But anyway, she was telling me a little bit about what is unique about this region to Portugal and the wines. Alentejo wines, first of all, are one of the most drunk wines in Portugal. Um, roughly just below 50%, 42% of the wines consumed in Portugal are made in Alentejo. Alentejo is a very hot, dry region um, that produces very easy to drink wines. Um, and you can also find wines with you know, great aging potential. Um, for instance, like we, we just had with Alicante Boucher. Uh, the most, you know, most used grape varieties here in Alentejo are Aragonese, Trincadeira, Alicante Boucher, um, that they are easy to drink, but at the same time they, have, they can be very full-bodied mm -hmm. and mouth-filling. Um, on the whites you have the Antonvage, the Ropeiro, and the Arinto, which are the most used uh, to produce uh, white wines, but you, you may find a wide range of grapes Mm -hmm. that make um, wines in Alentejo unique. And even if you drive 20 kilometers from one winery to, uh, to the other, you can find completely different things mm -hmm. made with the same grape varieties, but the terroir is different and the results and the outcome is really different. Right. The market in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Did you say that was, we were the <clears throat> third? The U.S. is the second largest export okay. market of Cartucha, um, and the first one being the first one, Brazil. But the U.S., we are mostly located on New Jersey, New York, and California, and Florida. So the four states where we are, where our sales are most present. We have EA, white and red. We have Cartusha, white, red, uh, and Reserva. And we also sell our uh, super premium wines, the Paramanca white and red. Let's talk about the sparkling, because you just started doing that recent, within the last decade. Yeah. That's um, recent for sparkling. That's <laughs> recent for sparkling. Our winemaker, he studied in Montpellier, France, mm. so he's passionate about uh, sparkling wines, and we thought it could be a nice addition to the Cartouche um, brand, um, having you know three different sparkling wine, sparkling wines, that can you know add value to this portfolio. So you can start or finish the meal with a sparkling white. With a sparkling wine, we have a rosé, a white, and a reserva, um, made with uh, the traditional method. When we're talking mm. about Cartusia, you've got a really cool story. Yeah, Cartusia is unique in a, in, in, in a different, you know, in a number of ways. But um, being one one of the most important, Cartusia Winery belongs to a non-profitable foundation that was set up in 1963 by, by Mr. Eugenio Dalmeida, Vasco Maria Eugenio Dalmeida, therefore the EA that you EA. find in the States. And with the money we get from selling wines and olive oils and other things, but wine and olive oil account for 85% of the turnover, we invest either on the production, but most important, we invest on a social mission. And it's our mission to, to develop economically, socially, religiously, and the education of people of Evra. So we have, we employ 212 people. Mm. Um, we have the biggest volunteer bank 
uh, that exists in Portugal. We train people to be volunteers. Mm. Uh, we call it proximity volunteers. So um, we help people. We help people, families in need, family in need through Caritas. We give scholarships. We help research and investigation through the local university. Um, and I usually say there is a reason and a mean behind each bottle. When people in the U.S. are looking at uh, a wine label from Portugal, mm -hmm. what should we look for? Usually a, a label has the brand. In our case, Cartouche is the brand. Mm -hmm. Ye is the brand. Then you will find the type of wine. Red wine, uh, white wine. And this is on the front of the label. That's usually on the front of the label. And then you will find if it's a DOC or a Vigne Regional. Mm -hmm. DOC means that it's uh, being produced in a denominated yes. region. It says that we've kept, we followed the rules of the local commission, being that 85% of the grapes used to produce that wine are uh, authorized grapes in Alentejo. Okay. Being a Vigno Regional does not necessarily mean poor quality right. if compared to a DOC. Okay? Yes. That's just a classification method. But if an American, keeping it simple, look for the brand and look for the origin. Portugal has outstanding good value for money wines. Um, and the quality we deliver at 10, at 20 bucks or even higher is really good if compared to other, other countries. Um, so give it a try. They're, they're usually a blend of grapes with, you know, very strange names. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, give, we deliver good quality, basically. I think Portugal is one of, the, one of the characteristics of Portuguese wines. It's good quality at each price level. And also, they are really unique, you know, really unique. Portugal is a very small country. But if you travel just, you know, as I mentioned before, 10 kilometers, 5, you'll find completely different wines from different producers so you have a lot to choose a wide selection and there are a number of companies doing you know quite well in the states that can you know probably attract you to come to portugal one day and discover more now she mentioned the ea that's a brand that you will find in the u.s as well and the label simply has a capital e and a capital a on it oh, all right oh i brought some wine to try what'd you bring well okay did you bring this all the way back from port no this is another one here true confession i cannot I cannot lie to my fellow wine geek. I had a bottle. I had a bottle from Cartusia and I drank it last night. <laughs> I had it sitting out and I couldn't wait. I had to try oh it. God. So uh, thankfully, <laughs> I had another bottle. And it's Rocim. R-O-C-I-M. Right. Heredado do Rocim. And it's from Alentejo, from the same area, Alentejo, and it's an Alicante Boucher. Alicante Boucher. You know what? I remember looking that up a long time ago. Alicante. Alicante? Alicante. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, but it, I looked it up a long time ago. It was, it was a blend in something else. Right. And I read. I remember reading, and I'm thinking it was like 15 years ago that I actually have this recall. I don't know how that stayed in my brain, but um, it's uh, really well known for its color. And It, it is beautiful. It That's... lends a lot of color to uh, wine, so people use it in blends for for, ma for that purpose. And the rim on it really is kind of purplish. Mm -hmm. It's not Gamay light, though, so it's so dark. You know how sometimes Gamay gets a little purple mm -hmm. around it? But this is so much darker. So this is um, 
you don't see a lot of of hundred uh, percent Alicante Boucher. No, you, you don't. Know, it's, it's blended a lot, and that's what I thought made this one kind of unique, and why I didn't drink it last night and brought it in. Well, it's kind of <laughs> cool to just know what the wines that are the grapes that are always blended, what they taste like standing all mm-hmm. by themselves. Uh, remember that time we got to try a um, Pinot Meunier? Yes, hundred percent uh, champagne. Really unique. It, it brought was, some it was, spice to the table. It was definitely fascinating. Um, so. When you're trying to learn about Portuguese wines, it they have a big export market in the U.S. as yeah. Gabriella said, but you can't find them just anywhere. It's like I, I can't go onto my uh, grocer and find them, even though they are good values and they do produce a lot. So if you find one, really take a chance and try it, and and I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at the quality and and the variety of these blends. I'm a, I'm a big fan of blends, and they and have got, a lot of great ones. I got to agree, though, that like Toriga Nacional, mm-hmm. Torrigas Nacional, that one is really, it's kind of hard to miss with that. I don't think I've had one of those that I didn't like. I would I would agree 100%. And also... That's why I drank the whole bottle last night. There you are. It was a Torrigas Nacional. <laughs> yeah, Thank <I'm> you. Sorry. <laughs> May have been blended with a few other things. But, but yeah, they're, they're, it's really a good one. And, um, yeah, I, I like that grape and... The still non-port wines from Portugal, they really don't get enough play and they don't get enough attention in the United States, I don't think. And I think they should. I agree. Get a little bit more love. So how would you rate port up against other places that support a lot of wine tourism? I know you've gone to a lot of different places. Right. But how user-friendly is it for a person who doesn't speak Portuguese, um, who maybe speaks English, or who's used Mm to um, traveling as a tourist anywhere? I mean, how, how... difficult was it to get around and how friendly were the people what do you think i think this was probably for all of the foreign places i've been one of the easiest really i mean the people were so hospitable and they're really trying to do more of the wine tourism um you don't need an appointment for a lot of places you can you can roll up and and taste wine um there's so many smaller producers that you're we're never going to find over here so that's always fun to Mm -hmm. to get to experience them and as far as the language the Portuguese language is so different, and I, that kicked my ass too because I kept trying to figure out a word. How to pronounce it? Oh, they were totally wrong because it's <laughs> such a blend. Um, you can't go in I, just because your neighbors with Spain. Don't think your Spanish is gonna, you know, get you. I mean, it will to some degree, but that most people spoke English or at least enough to get by, mm-hmm. and they could explain the basics when you go to some of these. Uh, caves and, and and tasting rooms. There's always somebody there who could who could speak English, and they were the some of the most hospitable people. They were so excited about their region and their wines, and that people were actually coming there now. It's an affordable area to go, and you know when we go a lot of places, you can check it off your list. Been there, done that, seen the Eiffel Tower. Don't need to ever go back. You know whatever whatever it may be. This is not one of those that I want to check off the list. I want to go back and experience more because it was such a cool country to And visit. you were there for a while. It wasn't like you were there for two days. No, I actually uh, took some time off. I spent three weeks. Yeah. So I really went from top to bottom, left to right, up and down, and experienced uh, the culture and the food and the, the wines from the different regions, as we were, were talking about earlier. And, and I loved it. Loved every minute of it. Yeah, well, that says a lot. If you were there for three weeks and you still want to go back, yes, you yeah. know, it, you're right. It's are you moving? Years. If I'm going to be an expat, <laughs> I might do it along the coast. <laughs> a lot of people are doing that. I yes. hear they have a lot, a huge expat community there from other countries within Europe, even too. When I told some of the expat people who I met, they were some Brits and some Americans and Swedish and South Africans. I met literally from all over the world, uh, and I said I was going to come back and write some stories and do. And they said, please don't. Yeah, please don't. Please don't tell everybody about our little our little 
piece of paradise. Like, too late. I got a big mouth. I'm telling everyone. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. It's cute. They want to protect their little secret. Yeah. <laughs> it's like once you get to paradise, you want to pull up the drawbridge. And, okay. Enough. <laughs> exactly. No more. <laughs> So that's cool. That's really an interesting uh, fact that you really do want to go back and and see it some more. And tell me a little bit about the food. The food, um, I was reading, and I'm not sure if this is exactly accurate, but it it was statistics when I was over there, that they consume more seafood than any other country in Europe, which I thought it might have been Greece. Yeah, I would have thought that too. But if you look at the map, you see a significant part of their border is along the coast, on the Atlantic. And so I had... It was sardine season when I was there. And if you, when I say sardines, if you think about the little squirrely ones in a can, no, these were about uh, six inches long and they were grilled and you just salted and you just scrape the skin back and eat. Oh my God, they were so good. Really? Um, Little tiny horse mackerel, little fish that you eat whole, you fry and you just shove them in your mouth and crunch away. (laughs) Just just Uh, put your mind on vacation thinking what you're crunching through. Cod, salted cod was big over there. Cod is made in a lot of different dishes. Uh, Pork is big as well. They've got the the black pork Mm -hmm. with the little piggies eat the acorns that fall off the cork trees. And that gives that meat a whole different flavor. It is just tender and flavorful. And uh, it had a lot of the cured meats from the different parts of the pigs, the black pigs. Mm -hmm. And it was just like butter, just melted in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. No, no, I'm hungry. I'm kind of shaking right now thinking about it. No, I'm ready to go back to Europe. Cheeses were good. Um, it was every region, again, had their own kind of cuisine that paired with the food and with the wines. And, and it went, it was seamless. It's so interesting over there. Like you have Portugal, which is probably the size of what state? I don't know. But definitely, I mean, I know that Italy is about the size of Florida, kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, how? It's smaller than that. I'm, I really can't recall. I don't know. I mean, I'll have to look at it on yeah. the map. But when you think about how they have different specific regions, that's like saying northeastern Georgia has a specific cuisine that's very different from southwestern Georgia. You know what I mean? Right. So it's kind of cool how they hold on to those that's traditions. What it's like. And then in Alentejo, in the wine country, there are like eight subregions within that region of wines. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's very much identity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of the cultural identity. It's, yeah. it's really intriguing. And I can understand why you'd want to go back after having spent almost a month there. So I will confess, I did bring another bottle back to share with you. I just didn't bring it in today. That's okay. So we'll do it. We'll do it, we'll uh, do it another day. We'll have, a, we'll have a pig roast it around your pool and do it. <laughs> I love the name of these regions, like Cartuja and Alentagio. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like made-up names of, you know, some Disney princess fairyland. You oh, know? well, there are some castles there that look like Disney princess fairyland. Really? And Sintra, right outside of uh, Lisbon. And and apparently Walt Disney supposedly was inspired by, by this castle for some of what he created in Florida and California. Wow. So, I mean, you, just the amount of different things you get to see when you're over there, besides the food and the wine, and it's pretty impressive. All right, I'm done gushing. All right. Well, (laughs) Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our producers for online media are Anna Bejarano and Tara Calligan. Technical production is by Mike Canary. Great Minds theme music for Zante is by Colin Madden. To get in touch, check greatminds.org or call the Grape Line and ask a wine question that we can address on a future show. That number is 707-200-3632. Thanks for listening. 